Alright, welcome back to Eat Lunch and Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins. Today, we will be talking about a cooperative board game, Castle Panic. A cooperative board game is one where all the players are working together to defeat the game. There is a win condition that all the players are working together to achieve. This means that all the players either win together or they lose together. There are a lot of cooperative games out there. Currently, the most popular tends to be Matt Leacock's Pandemic, and I think we all know why. My favorite one, however, is Justin DeWitt's 2009 Castle Panic. It is a tower defense co-op game where you and your fellow players are working together to defend your castle from the monster horde that is hiding in the surrounding forest. I was first introduced to Castle Panic by Fireside Games in an episode of Will Wheaton's Tabletop. I had never seen a game like Castle Panic. Everyone working for a common goal. Everyone wins or loses together. It is not competitive. What? This is great! Also, Will's guess on that episode made the game seem even better. After watching the episode, I pretty much just bought the game immediately. I had a gift card to the local gaming shop that was burning a hole in my pocket, so I picked it up and the Wizard's Tower. They were uh, currently out of the Dark Titan expansion, but fear not! I went to a different game store and purchased that one as well. On Board Game Geek, Castle Panic currently holds a 6.7 with over 14,000 ratings. I think that is horrendously low. But don't worry, my 9 is in there. I believe that more hardcore gamers prefer a cooperative game with more strategy and depth. For me, Castle Panic is perfect. You can introduce people to the concept of a co-op game. It is light-hearted, it is fast-paced, and it has been a crowd-pleaser for me for years. It plays 1-6 to six players. The box says ages 10 and up, but I feel that is much too high, as my son has been playing it since he was 3 or maybe 4. As far as rule clarity, the rule book of Castle Panic is a bit deceiving. It is 12 pages long. However, a lot of it is covered in graphics and artwork to explain the rules and to clarify some examples. The rules are very straightforward, and there is an order of play card to help you remember and this order is printed in a corner of the board as well. The object of the game is simple. Kill the monsters that are trying to destroy your castle. If you have slain all the monsters and still have one remaining castle tower piece, you win. If you ever lose your sixth and final tower piece, everyone loses. Time to explain to newcomers. This is where the game shines. With it being a cooperative game, you can explain a lot of the strategy as you play. Setup to the game is very quick and easy. Place the board in the middle of the table, place the castle walls on the center hexagon, and place a tower piece behind each one. Deal out a hand, typically face up, to each player based on the player count, and then set out the first six monsters in the forest ring at random. Three goblins, two orcs, and one troll. I keep these six separated out of my box organizers for a quicker setup. Set the triangular tiles with the highest point value pointed towards the castle. The rest of the monster tokens are now dumped into a draw bag, and you're ready to go. Move all the monsters from the forest ring into the archer ring, and let's get slaying. The first player can discard and draw one card if they like. Then that player can make as many trades as the player counts allow for. Next, it is time to play your cards. Cards can be a straight attack cards. These cards attack a monster in a specific color, red, blue, or green, in a specific ring, swordsman, knight, or archer. Each attack does 1 damage to the monster. To show this, simply rotate the tile clockwise 60 degrees to the next number. If this would reduce the number of the monster's health to 0, then remove it from the game. Cards could also tar and slow a monster so they do not advance. 
some allow you to go through the discard, and some slay a monster immediately, killing it no matter its current health. And then some modify the attacks. Lastly, one brick combined with one mortar card will allow you to rebuild a destroyed segment of Castle Wall. But remember though, Castle Towers can never be rebuilt. After all cards the active player wants to play have been played, the monsters move in one ring, for instance from the Archer Ring to the Knight Ring. If a monster would hit a wall, then the wall is destroyed and the monster takes one point of damage. This may kill the monster. If there is no wall in front of the monster, it will hit the tower piece, destroying it while taking one damage. Once inside the castle wall, a monster will continue to move clockwise, taking down tower pieces until it either dies or you slay it with the barbarian. Of course, it could take out your last tower piece, ending your game. Once all monster tokens have moved, the dreaded drawing phase occurs. The active player draws two new monster tokens from the bag, one at a time. This is important because there are more than just monsters in the monster tokens and the tokens need to be resolved one at a time. There are tokens that move the monsters. They can go clockwise, counterclockwise, or perhaps all the red monsters move in one ring. Plague tokens require all the players to discard a certain attack card, like all the swordsmen. All your best laid plans of trading just went out the window. There are also bosses in the bag. There are four of these little turds. The Goblin King, the Orc Warlord, Troll Mage, and Healer. They all have special abilities when entering the game. Another corner of the board is dedicated to telling you how screwed you just became. You could draw a giant boulder. These wonderfully huge boulders rampage from the forest and quote-unquote roll down until they hit part of the castle. On a positive note, they do kill any monsters in their path. One game I was playing actually had a hole in the castle that the boulder rolled right through. There was no wall or tower in its path. It just rolled harmlessly out the other side and killed a few monsters on the way. Lastly, there are the dreaded draw more monster tokens. There is a draw three and draw four more monster tokens somewhere in your bag just waiting to flip your plans upside down. Once the original two draws have happened, Play passes clockwise to the next player who now draws up to their hand limit. Replayability This game has a great amount of replayability built into it. With the monsters coming out of the bag and the cards being shuffled, every game is different. You can also add some or all the expansions and promos to change the game even more. I've had games last 90 minutes because we added the Wizard's Tower and the Dark Titan. And I've had games last 6 turns. Not 6 rounds, 6 turns. Our dice roll kept putting the stupid monsters in the same wedge. We couldn't defend that wedge, and they marched right in and destroyed our towers. Of course, our draws didn't help either, so we kept getting more monsters, move monsters, bosses, and more monster tokens. It was the most deflating Castle Panic experience ever, and yet, I still love this game dearly. The artwork. Man, I love the artwork. It is very family-friendly, yet on point with the theme. Justin DeWitt did his own artwork, which makes him a double threat as a game designer. He does a lot of his own artwork for a lot of his games. I'd like to meet him. Maybe I'll reach out to him and try to get him to be a guest on this podcast. Hmm. Okay, so I did reach out to Justin, and he has agreed to be on the podcast this year. So, stay tuned for that. The component quality. The game board is a standard quad-fold board of standard quality. All 49 monster tokens, 6 castle walls, 6 castle towers, 2 fortified tokens, and the tar token are all quality chipboard. My monster tokens show a little wear around the edges, but the game is very well loved. There are 12 plastic holders for the castle pieces, and I have always thought these fit oddly to the pieces. 
they tend to either slide off too easily or not come off at all. The 49 base game cards are of decent quality, but I have sleeved mine shortly after learning about card sleeves. I feel this has really extended the life of the cards. There is also one standard D6, and all the components are of decent and great quality. Bang for the buck. With a very low $35 MSRP, this should be a no-brainer addition to your office gaming collection. I have not seen this outside of a game shop, but some big box retailers have it on their website. It's not hard to find or expensive. Lunchtime potential. A base game of Castle Panic should have no problem being completed during a lunch hour. We have played it a few times at work and have gotten through it every time. The main issue with it is the same as with most cooperative games. The quarterback. The table quarterback. This is the person that tells everyone else what they should be doing. This person can play the game solo, but has multiple people. Even though this person is part of the game, you try to mitigate the quarterback with tact. We have a few. They know it. They try very hard not to be that guy. As I'll cover in a few minutes, there are expansions for Castle Panic. A few of my co-workers and I put them all in and we set the game to the hardest setting. The expansions have a uh, setting option and the base game does not. This took us a little over an hour. More like close to two. But we managed to beat Castle Panic with the Wizard's Tower and the Dark Titan. It was quite the feat. Like a lot of games that I play and love, Etsy has some ways to bling out this game. You can get a 3D printed castle that comes with castle walls, towers, that replace all the chipboard ones. They even offer a 3D printing of the Wizard's Tower, and they have 3D printing of the fire tokens. There's a fortification piece as well. I have not dropped the money to purchase this. Honestly, I, I don't know why I have it. I just have it. It looks impressive for sure. I recommend sleeving your cards, but I think that's obvious by this point. I also have the box organizer. It was the second box organizer that I purchased, and it fits all my pieces with room for more. Recently, Fireside Games has released a big box version of the game. It comes with all three current expansions, some of the promos, and a large box for all of them to fit in. But if you're looking to save space, the base game box is about 10.5 inches square by 2.5 inches deep. The big box is much larger. You would have to do a little math to see what is the best deal for you. I've been collecting all the game as it comes out, so I'll continue down this path for now. There's a deluxe version coming to Kickstarter sometime in 2021, but I'm 100% sure that I will not be able to afford it. Expansions! As you have guessed, I love expansions and games that have lots of expansions. Not only does Castle Panic have some, they tell you right on the box. So let's dig in and see what the expansions offer. The Wizard's Tower came out in 2011, two years after the base game. The simple game is not so simple any longer. There's a lot going on with this expansion. You replace one of your base game tower pieces with the titular Wizard's Tower. It has a special deck of cards, which I have also sleeved. The new cards have been added to the base deck with new powers and abilities. There are new monsters, mega bosses, and fire tokens. The cards and tokens have a wizard hat on them for easy removal after playing. Setup is a little more with this expansion. You have to balance the game by removing certain monster tokens from your base game and placing in the new monsters. Some of these new monsters are really big jerks. They're immune to attacks in certain rings, but can be slain with one hit in a different ring. A climbing troll will climb right over your castle wall and start tearing down your tower. You draw three of the six Harbinger tokens for the bosses blindly and put them in your bag. Why not just put the bosses in, you ask? 
Well, these guys are not messing around. They have more hit points than your standard triangle. These six big nasties are Basilisk, Chimera, Dragon, Hydra, Necromancer, and Warlock. They're all bad when they enter your game. Some of the monsters in this edition fly and cannot be hit by swordsmen or knights. The archer, hero, or barbarian can hit them no matter what ring they're in, but the correct color is still required. The Wizard's Tower allows you to access magic. These cards have to be drawn up like any other card and traded on your turn. They are very powerful, but you have to maintain the regular deck too. These powerful magic wizard cards include hurting all the monsters by one damage in one specific ring and wedge, or allowing you to rebuild a tower piece. Like I said, they are very powerful cards. Of course, you can lose access to this deck if the wizard tower should fall. It cannot be rebuilt. So, make sure you keep the wall built in front of and behind the Wizard's Tower to protect it from those almighty boulders. With the additional mega bosses and monsters, this expansion makes Castle Panic more chaotic and has a new threat level that the base game was missing. You can still finish in the one hour lunchtime, for the most part. You might stretch a little over though. My advice here is, if you know you're going to use the expansion ahead of time, prep it. Remove all the base game monsters and have all the cards shuffled in. This just leaves having to add the Harbinger tokens and you're good to go. Fire is a new thing added in this expansion. Certain monsters and flaming boulders light things on fire. There are cards in the deck to help you ignite your foes. Monsters are damaged by fire one hit point at the end of the turn. Your castle can be lit on fire too, but it takes more than one fire token to burn them down. You can put the fire out by discarding a brick or mortar card. There's a lot going on with this expansion. It's a pretty large step up from the base game. It makes the game feel more adult but still family friendly. I feel that people say they think Castle Panic is too easy or too light. Need to really give it a try with this or really any expansion. The level of complexity increases with each expansion. Which brings us to the Dark Titan. Were the mega bosses not enough for you in the Wizard's Tower expansion? Do you still feel invincible? The Dark Titan Agronach made his debut in 2015 and he is here to destroy you and your castle. And with him, he brings his heralds, elite monsters, and more new threats. Yet all hope is not lost. This expansion also gives you help. There are three support tokens, new cards to add to your castle deck, and the Cavalier, all there to aid you in your defense. Let's look at the bad guys first. Agronach himself is the big bad. He makes the mega bosses from Wizard's Tower look like little kobolds. Agronach is scalable in difficulty. He has five levels of butt kicking. You set the difficulty as you desire, then place the corresponding card off to the side. There are five heralds. When the first three come out of the bag, they are placed directly on Agronach's card, triggering an event. The third one summons Agronach, the Dark Titan himself. Depending on the level you choose to play him on, different things can occur, like he'll throw a giant boulder at your castle. He also takes 8 points to vanquish, and he cannot be slain with one hit. There are new nasty monsters in this expansion like the Boom Troll, the Elite Orc, and the Dark Sorceress. They're just as mean as they sound. Okay, now for the good news. There is a new card and token called the Cavalier. When his card comes up from the castle deck, his horse-mounted token is placed anywhere in the swordsman ring. He rides around damaging enemies for 2 points and taking damage equal to the monster's health. Less than 2, he continues his ride. 
Two or more, he sacrifices himself for the better good. Plus side, you can draw him out again and again and again. Also in the draw bag are three support tokens. When they enter the game, during the draw monster phase, they are put in the forest ring by die roll. They do not move on the monster's move phase. Players may discard color attack cards to move them left, right, forward, or backward to avoid being attacked by the monsters. They can be used to attack the monsters if you so choose, and they can also be attacked by the monsters if they share a space. They exchange a hit point when entering a space together. If you can get the support tokens to your castle, they offer bonuses. The reserve squad allows the current player to inflict damage to any monster equal to the health of the reserve squad token. The Stonemason's card allows the building of the castle wall equal to the health of the token. And lastly, the support wagon allows every player to draw from the castle deck equal to the health of the supply wagon, ignoring hand limits. As I said, there are also new castle cards to aid in your defense. My personal favorite is Boiling Oil. It allows you to damage all monsters in the swordsman ring of the matching color for one point. This can come in handy when things are starting to look grim. The Dark Titan expansion adds a lot of new nasties and goodies to the game. This edition raises the stakes and with the scalability of the level of Agronach, you can really amp up the destruction. This can lengthen the game a little bit though, but again, if you prep the night before, you can alleviate some of it. The rules also give you instructions to combine this expansion with Wizard's Tower. The Engines of War. This was the first expansion I had to wait on. I bought my base game in 2015, shortly after the Dark Titan came out, apparently. So, when I bought the base game, I just picked up all the expansions at the same time. Waiting on the Engines of War to come out was a bit difficult for me. Luckily, I received it for Christmas of 2016, the year it came out. Anyone who still isn't challenged by Castle Panic by this point surely will be after adding Engines of War to the game. Unlike the other two, this expansion does not add any new cards to the Castle deck. It adds a whole new deck though, the resource deck. The setup for this game is a bit different as well. You have to remove all the base game brick and mortar cards as they are now part of the resource card deck. You only add 11 new monster tokens and remove 10 from the base game. You also need to set aside 6 orcs for the siege engines. Set up the castle and walls the same as the base game but this time you place a keep in the middle of the castle. Set everything else off to the side and this is a lot. Your engineer uses assigned resource cards to build one of the seven items you can assign to him. A spring trap, a barricade, pit, catapult, ballista, wall, or keep. He can only be assigned one thing at a time and you and the other players play your resource cards on his tile until you have met the correct combination. The cards can be drawn up, discarded, or traded as any other castle card. There are four of each resource type of rope, wood, brick, and mortar. This new deck has a shelf life, however. When it runs out, shuffle it and banish the top two cards, removing them from the game permanently. The traps help slow down monsters in their impending attacks. The catapult and ballista are powerful weapons that are built on the keep. They do a huge damage when they are aimed. You have to rotate the keep to the color you want to aim at. Then discard two cards that target the space you want. For instance, if you wanted to hit the red knight ring, you could discard a red swordsman and a blue knight. This could also be used to hit the blue swordsman combination. Now, the new nasties. There are three siege engines. The siege tower, war wagon, and the battering ram. When drawn, they are manned by two of the orcs you set aside at the start. Each has its own set of rules that govern what it does and does not affect it, how it moves, and how it attacks. 
Rest assured, none of them are nice. Then there are the two encampments, the barracks and the forward camp. In brief, the barracks token is placed in the forest ring. Then the first monster drawn is placed in this space every turn until it is destroyed. The forward camp is placed at the intersection of the two numbers matching the color of the die roll. So if a 1 is rolled, it is placed in the forest ring on the line between the 1 and the 2. Now, any monster that would come out in red will now immediately enter in the archer ring. There are three new monsters to terrorize your kingdom as well. The Breathtaker, you can't trade cards until he's slain. The Goblin Saboteur, if he destroys any castle piece, he is immediately slain, and the top card of all decks is removed for each health point he had. And the Shaman, heals herself and any other monster in her color. As you can tell, this makes the game much more difficult to win. My son and I recently played this expansion, and it utterly destroyed us. We made it about two-thirds of the way through the monster bag, but we were done in by some bad drawing and rolling. In the end, the Breathtaker took his toll. This expansion is fantastically entertaining. There's a lot of new stuff going on. Again, like the rest of the expansions, I highly recommend prepping the night before to limit the setup time at work. The game might take a little more than an hour, but should not take too much more. And as with the Dark Titan, the rulebook has ways to combine it with the Wizard's Tower, the Dark Titan, and both. Now onto the promos. I have a lot of the promos for this game as well. Some I collected via eBay, some from conventions, and one I even got from a gaming magazine. Here's the ones that I have. The Feather Promo Bookmark. It is a one-time use action that allows you to combine it with the tar to immediately slay any monster. The Crossbow Promo is a coaster. It's a one-time use action that allows any knight or swordsman to hit a flying monster for one damage. Next up are the promo cards. The Any Color Hero works just like it sounds. It is a hero that can hit from any color in any ring. Then there's the Fickle Fortune promo card. It allows you to re-roll the die, but you must keep the second result. These two can be shuffled right into your deck. There's another card that I am currently tracking down called the All for One. It requires that the players discard a combined total of five cards to damage any monster one point anywhere on the board. Lastly, there are the Tabletop Day promo castle pieces. These pieces replace parts of your castle tower. I have the 2015 and 2017 towers that I picked up at a convention. They each give an ability or action when they are destroyed. For instance, 2015 does 2 points of damage to the monster that destroyed it. And the 2017 allows all the players to draw up and trade when it is destroyed. There are other ones for 2016, 18, and 19, but I have not acquired them at the time of recording this. I was inspired to do so and purchased the 2018 and 2019 right from Fireside Games' website. I'll need to track down a decent deal on the 2016 one. It was not available on their site. They allow a tower to be rebuilt once, but the cost of three slain trolls returning to the forest ring, the die is rolled, and that many monsters receive one point of damage, and lastly, when destroyed, all monsters move back to the forest ring when this piece comes down. This may seem great, but it could mess with your plans that you have all just traded to set up for. None of these promos add any playtime, but they add some fun, new variability, and maybe even a little bit of strategy. Perhaps letting a piece of tower fall will be worth it just to gain the advantage. Then again, perhaps not. You're now one step closer to losing. There are other versions or skins of Castle Panic. There is Star Trek Panic, Munchkin Panic, 
and Dead Panic, which is a zombie version. I will be covering the Star Trek Panic in a later episode. I do not have the other two. In summary, Castle Panic is not a deep strategy game. It is a jovial adventure. I have had much success with introducing this game to people. A few of my coworkers have purchased this game after playing it at the office. Most of them have children to take it home to play with them. One of my best friends bought it to play with his family. I'm telling you, Castle Panic is a perfect introductory co-op game. My box is starting to wear down from all the traveling it has endured, and I know it will continue to endure it. There are other co-op games out there. I have a lot of them, but Castle Panic just checks off so many boxes for me. Good price, has expansions, I can play with friends and family alike. Please feel free to email me at eatlunchandboardgame at gmail.com or follow me on Facebook. Until next time, keep building those bridges. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real-play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire-Breathing Kittens podcast. Fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. Average Joe's Gaming is a weekly podcast brought to you by us. I'm Joe. I'm Tom. We talk about all things game-related. In this hour-long podcast, you'll discover what has arrived in the game room, which Funko Pop Tom just could not resist, and maybe, if you're lucky, we might get around to talking about games. Might. Tune in weekly. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast formats. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. Click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com.